モーニングプロジェクトプレゼンツ Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the nichiest podcast ever. And now, let's meet our contestants. Contestant number one. My name is Brian O'Hala. I live in Seattle, Washington with my husband David in our cat pajamas. When I'm not playing Famicom or PC Engine games, I like walking on the beach, watching tennis, or doing copious amounts of pull ups. Contestant number two. Hi, my name is Anne, and I live in Australia. You might think all I do is take long walks in the outback with kangaroos, but in actuality, I spend my free time reading manga about boys who love other boys and playing all kinds of weird and wacky video games. And finally, contestant number three. Hi, this is Shidoshi, and I like to. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. Stop that music. This isn't Warning Huge Podcast. I was totally duped. And now, here is your show. So, this is the nichiest gaming podcast ever. Uh, and we may or may not be the nichiest gaming podcast ever, but that is what we call ourselves. <laughs> uh, and I'm Shidoshi, and I'm back once again here with Anne. Hi, Anne. Hello. And Brian. Hi, Brian. Hello. So, um, it's been a while since we've all talked, so how are the both of you doing? Well, don't, I'm don't, doing don't, well, don't, don't. I think, but <laughs> swimming in games, it seems like, it just keeps <laughs> piling on more and more, you know, between reviews and picking up things for fun. Uh, yeah, it's really tough to spend, be able to have enough time for everything. That's how I'm feeling these days, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> on, on a regular basis, how many reviews do you do? Um, well... Let's just say I have about seven games on my plate right now that I need to review. I probably do two a week, maybe. Wow. <laughs> just about how fast I am. <laughs> yeah. How, how many do you do? I know you, well, you review quite often, so you probably <clears throat> do more than that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, because what we do, uh, for people, anybody who doesn't know, um, in the magazine I work for, we have every game gets reviewed by three people. So you have oh, really? three people giving the same game each their own scores. Um, which, which you don't think about that at first, but that seriously increases the amount of work that has to be done for, mm. for an issue of a magazine. So, like, I think for the last issue, in a span of two weeks, I had to play through about seven or eight games uh, for wow. review. Just because it, the problem was is we're getting to that point where a lot of games are coming in bunches. So it's kind of like a last mm. minute, oh, hey, we've gotten in these five new games. We want to get them reviewed, so. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's it's tough though because, you know, and I'm sure you have this too. Is the fact that when you have to review a game for work, like your kind of attitude towards it is different. <laughs> yeah, because, definitely. Yeah. 
Yeah, because normally you're like, oh, I'm going to sit down and have fun playing this game. But when, you're, when it's, okay, I've got to sit down and play this game. And I've got to get all the way through it. It's kind of like this weird pressure that you put on yourself that makes you be like, well, I really just want to go off and play another game instead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I find that a lot. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, well, for you, you, it's your job, right? So you get paid to do it. But I don't get paid to do this. This is just... Um Writing for PGW is for fun, and, you know, of course I get free games, but, uh, and I'm doing my PhD on top of it, so I do most of my gaming in the evening, so right. sometimes I feel like, well, you know, I have to review this, but I really want to be doing something else, or, but there's this other game I want to be playing, you know, so yeah, it's hard to juggle all of that. I'm sure some days you probably feel like, oh, I spent all day reviewing, I don't want to play any games at all, or do you never feel like that? Oh, ab- no, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, it does kind of... You know, when when gaming is the thing you use to escape from your job and the real life or whatever, um, then when that becomes your job in your real life and your whatever, then <laughs> you can't escape to gaming because, you know, that's what you're trying to escape <laughs> from. So it, it really does hurt, you know, your ability to just sit down and play a game for, for enjoyment. Uh, but Brian, I think you don't, you don't have any problem with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, no, I mean because you aren't really doing this as a job or as a oh, you're right, you're right. Hardcore kind of freelancing gig, so yep. you get to do all your gaming for fun. Yeah, although I mean, yeah, I still feel pressure, you know, to to try to get a blog post out every day. But you're right; it's not the same. And if I really have to, I can nail one out, you know, <laughs> hammer one out pretty quickly. Um, yeah, and I, and I really don't write reviews, so, I mean, rarely. To be fair, blog posts, I mean, you know, when you first start a blog up, you don't think about it, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to have do a blog post every day, and it's going to be not big a deal or anything. And then once you start doing it, you just could do it very, it's like exercise, you know? The first yeah. week, you're really gung-ho about it, and you're like, I'm going to do this every single day, and I'm going to stick at it. And then you miss that one day. You're like, well, it's okay because I've been doing it for two weeks straight, so I can miss <laughs> this one day. And then you miss that one day, and the next day it becomes harder to get back into that routine. Yeah. Mm. So blogs are really tough in that, in that kind of regard. Yeah. Um, but there's been a lot of uh, gaming stuff that has happened recently. Of course, there is Tokyo Game Show, which uh, I get a chance to go over and see. But before we get to that, there were a few very interesting Nintendo announcements that came down the pike. <laughs> um, biggest of which, of course, uh, is the Wii U. Finally, we get a price. Finally, we get a release date and everything. So I want to ask you two, uh, before Iwata comes out and announces the Japanese price before Reggie comes out and announces the American price. You know, I'm sure everybody kind of had in their minds like what they thought the pricing was going to be, what they thought the bundles were going to be and everything. How how did the announced pricing and release and everything um, compare to what you were expecting from the Wii U? <laughs> well, uh, how about I go first? Um... And I know everyone will say, everyone who's listening to this will say I'm crazy, but for me, I thought, or I was hoping it would be $50 cheaper for both of the packages. That's what I was hoping for. 
I don't think that's crazy because that's, that's exactly what I was thinking too. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I won't say I was shocked by the price, but I really thought the lower priced one would be 249 I think it's 299 right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was a bummer. And what would you think about the pricing? I expected to be at about three hundred. I couldn't really believe uh, the the Wii launched at two forty nine, right, or two fifty when it came yep. out. And yeah, because of the uh, that game pad, I didn't really expect them to be able to put it out at the same price. Even though, yeah, maybe that would have been a better move, or I would have liked that better. But yeah, I think realistically, I expected it to be at least three hundred. So yeah. Well, so the Japanese model, the the base model, got announced. I believe it was twenty four thousand nine hundred yen or so. I think it was mm-hmm. around there. And the the way life kind of used to work is that if that was the price, you could kind of cut off the last two zeros, and that would be pretty much what the American price would be expected <laughs> to be. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so and um, you know, part of me really thought that okay, they're gonna try to get this to come in at. $250 because because of the way the yen works currently and because just the way Japanese society works and, and what their standard of living is versus ours like that price point in Japan feels to me more like a $249 price hmm. so I kind of really did think that it was going to come in um, at $249 and $299 for the two bundles uh, but also you know and to what you just said about the controller what kind of shocked me is that the price of the controller in Japan is pretty much half the price of the mm. Wii U when you buy it. <laughs> like, if you want a second controller, it's literally half the price of the bundle. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> That's an expensive controller. And they're not going to sell it singly in America. Right, you have to go through Nintendo, the, like, contact Nintendo directly, right, to get it. I don't are they I don't even know if they're gonna do that or not. I I, I had not heard that, but I knew uh, that I thought they were like you would have to contact Nintendo customer service hmm. um online or something and that uh, but I don't know. They said they don't well from what I recall, this could be totally wrong, but <laughs> um I seem to remember them saying that that this is this is something they were gonna do, but it's it's not gonna be on launch or anything. But that that's the right. option for people that like say their kid like chucks it out the window or something. Okay, yes, you know, yeah, you'd sure. Be able to yeah. get a replacement one. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, at least at first they're not gonna be pushing the, the two game pads per system right. kind of thing. Um so there were a few game announcements that, announcements that I think that were pretty big. Um, and funny enough, both of them are involved with Platinum Games. <laughs> the first is uh, the P100 that was previously shown off now has the official name of the Wonderful 101. And many people have said, where does the extra one come from? <laughs> and the extra one is indeed you. Yes, you. Yes. So, uh, but... Far more shocking to some people, not to everybody, is the fact <laughs> that Bayonetta 2 was announced as a Wii U exclusive game. Now, I think, Brian, you, you, you had not played Bayonetta last time we talked. I have not. Have you still not played Bayonetta? I have not. I've added it to my to buy list, <laughs> but, but so, I haven't played it yet. 
So at this point, you're, you're still not... I seem to... I seem to recall after this announcement, both uh, Shidoshi and I were, you know, getting on your case about having not played it. We both said it's like the best game and you need to play our ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I'm still, I'm actually waffling on what to do with my 360, so that's why I haven't done anything yet. What What are you considering with your 360? I was considering getting rid of it. Wow. But I think I won't. I mean, I will only get rid of a system if, if I really think I didn't want to play it again, and if I could, you know, if it could be worth my while. And I don't think, especially the latter, is going to happen. So I'll probably just keep it. But I'm, I'm still reluctant to buy too many more games for it. Now, how, what systems do you currently have in your kind of active rotation oh. in your house? So non-retro. Yeah, yeah. Current, current, current gen. Um, well, let's say current-ish would be uh, PSP, DS, 3DS, Wii, 360. So n- no, no PS3 even. No. So you would, wow. So you would actually <laughs> get rid of the only HD console you currently have. Well, I mean, the reason I'm thinking of it is that despite the price of the Wii U, I want a Wii U. So I thought, well, maybe that will, you know, I think once I get one, I'm less likely to play the 360. Okay. Um, And my plan all along was to buy a PS3, which I actually wish I had bought the PS3 instead of the 360, but whatever, I can't do that now. Um, So I don't know, I'm I'm just in a tizzy right now with the whole 3DS (laughs) situation and the Wii U and the PS3. I have no idea what to do. So in my upcoming question of whether or not you're going to get a Wii U, I think your answer would be you are absolutely planning to get one at this point. Yes, but it could, you know, I'm not going to get one at launch. Okay. For sure. Like in the first 12 months? Yes. Okay, first 12 months, not bad. Uh, and what about you? Are, 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 what is your interest level in the Wii U at this, at this point? Uh, I'm lukewarm, I'd say. Uh the console itself isn't really exciting to me, I guess, and I'm not sure what that is. I mean, I don't, I don't generally pick up uh, hardware really close to launch anyway. Um, but then again, I did get the Vita and the 3DS on launch, so I guess I'm changing that <laughs> my ways <laughs> now. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, with the current launch lineup and just the foreseeable future, there isn't any game that I say, oh my god, I need to have that, and I'm going to buy the Wii U for that game. Uh, yeah, usually, usually that's why I buy a console rather than saying, well, you know, this new hardware just looks really nice to me and I want to have it. So as I have so much other stuff right now, I can kind of hold off on it. But, you know, they announce a Pokemon game or a Final Fantasy game or, you know, something that's a little more my speed, then I think <laughs> I'll probably jump on it then. <laughs> well, so so going along what you know of the Wii U right now and what you would expect knowing the history of Nintendo consoles do you do you could you see yourself buying it in the first 12 months mm. maybe maybe not at launch but let's say bef- before next year's holidays 
Hmm, I don't, that's hard. <laughs> These are hard <laughs> questions. <laughs> I don't know. See, with the 3DS, though, I was very lukewarm about that as well, because I thought, well, I don't really care about 3D, you know, and, um, but then I ended up getting that, well, it was a present, actually, but, um, you know, I love it now, and I'm so glad that I got it early, because there have been a lot of games for it that I've liked, but I think I knew those games were coming down, you know, in the next 12 months when the 3DS launched, whereas with the Wii U, I feel like 12 months from now, I have no idea what's going to be coming out for it, and yeah. what's, you know, in the works, like, yeah, I mean, with the 3DS, there were all of these games that I really was interested in that I could see coming out in the foreseeable future, and some of them got pushed back, like Luigi's Mansion, or, you know, but, um, Still, yeah, the Wii U seems kind of like this big hazy cloud of I have no idea what it's going to look like in six months after launch. So that isn't really um, that great to me anyway. <laughs> well, then, then Brian, so for you, are is your interest in the Wii U based on what you've seen so far for the system or what you expect from it from here on out? <laughs> um a little bit of both um i will say like i was okay i was interested in it before i went to one of the wii u experience events okay. and i don't know there was just something about playing the games in person that got me more excited about it i don't know why i, I mean i couldn't express why it was but i just i thought I had a lot of fun with it, and I think I had more fun with some of the launch games than I expected to. Um, so, I, and I think just knowing that, I was like, okay, there are three or four games that I would want, you know, five games maybe within the first six months, that's enough for me. And I know, you know, even as <laughs> annoying as their tactics are for, like, announcing games two months before they release, I know they will release you know, a handful more of games within the first year and a half that I'm going to want. So to me, I know I want it. It just depends on when, how long I want to wait. And I just, for me, it's almost like I want to see how things pan out after January because you know, just like with the 3DS, I mean, who knows if the price will drop, if it bombs or uh, if they'll have issues with anything at the beginning. I just am not interested in it at all until... February or later, but after that, I'm sure I'll want one. <laughs> how many How many Xbox 360 games have you bought over the time of owning it? <laughs> I have, well, okay, see, people are going to give me such shit for this. I have a single physical release, you know, retail release, and then I have probably 20 to 25 digital games. Wow. Now, um, when you say digital, do you mean like Xbox Live Arcade? Yeah, yeah, okay. no, no um, full retail releases okay. that were bought digitally, if that's what you mean. Well, the reason I ask is because I almost think that in your position then, because the Wii U is going to kind of be your first introduction yeah. to, like, HD gaming. I mean, obviously, you've, you've played them before, but since you have hardly gotten into any real Xbox retail games, you know... Not that you might not necessarily play it, but a game like Batman would be new to you. A game like Mass Effect would be new to you. Yeah, but you know know what? I have no interest in those games, actually. (laughs) Sure, sure. But I I guess my point is is that 
you know, for you, since you since you weren't really into the Xbox and you weren't really into the PS3, yeah. for you, this would be kind of like your first step into that world. So yeah. it's going to feel fresh to you where someone like me who has had the Xbox and the PS3 for six, seven years now, like I kind of come at it being like, this is what I've seen for seven years. Oh, yeah. Well, I understand that. I mean, I think, I think some of the decisions... Nintendo made with this system are completely baffling and I am not entirely sure how it's going to work out which is why I kind of want to see I mean I'm sure I will buy it anyway because like I said there will be plenty of games for it but it is strange and I can see where people are coming from um yeah I don't know what to say (laughs) sure no uh well just for me uh to answer the question um I am not interested at all Huh. I've I've played the Wii a number of times now, and I just I struggle to care about it. I don't know. I I I don't. You know, I'm I'm not a big Nintendo person. I'm not really big into their their games. So I have not figured out what it would be for me that the Wii U would give me that I haven't gotten to this point. Um, I think if they end up doing something really revolutionary with that controller, then I'll understand it. But as of right now, I don't mentally understand what I will get from this system that I don't already have or can't get otherwise. Well, you know what? One thing I really dislike about the way the company operates at this point is that, to me, they've done a terrible job of actually explaining beyond the fact that the controller has a screen on it why people should care and i know you hear you know both people from japan and from nintendo of america etc saying well it's really hard to explain you know everything it can do well it's not my problem i mean <laughs> i i just find it kind of baffling that you know they struggle to explain it they str- they said the same thing with the 3ds and i think well isn't this something that should have been addressred Early on, you know, shouldn't you have decided, hey, this might be just difficult to explain to people? I don't know. I mean, I just find a lot of it completely baffling, to tell you the truth. <laughs> well, I think a sign of that is the fact that a lot of people still think the Wii U is a new controller. Yes. Wii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I still get people saying that to me, even now. So there's obviously something wrong with their marketing or, yeah. Well, and that might answer your question of why they aren't <laughs> offering the controller for sale separately at the beginning because they're worried <laughs> that people will buy it and then take it home for their Wii and then come back and say, it doesn't work on my Wii. I hadn't yeah. actually thought about that. That's a <laughs> very interesting point you just make there. Uh, speaking of interesting, though, for me, what was far more interesting hardware-wise coming out of Nintendo is their first new... Color choice for the 3DS XL. The color choice that I spent many a night dreaming of and hoping for. The white and pink 3DS XL. Which I have dubbed to be the perfect 3DS in existence. (laughs) I am so excited about this because when I got a chance to play the 3DS XL... Um, I came to really, as I think I said last show, I came to really appreciate the system. And I like the, the return to the duo color tones 
on it. And I sat there thinking, you know what? You make this system white, you make that outer shell pink, and it would be perfect. And that is exactly what Nintendo has <laughs> done for their very first new color choice. Um, this is, of course, coming in conjunction with the release of what we call over here uh, Style Savvy Trendsetters, which is the Style Savvy for 3DS. Uh, there is no announcement yet if the pink and white 3DS will be coming over here, but uh, Style Savvy Trendsetters is coming out here in October. So Nintendo still has time to do a... Oh, by the way, we're bringing this over. <laughs> in two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they've done that before. Nintendo America has. Um, oh. But also, uh, Reggie fils the president of Nintendo of America, uh, said in a recent interview that the color pink in terms of handheld systems actually sells better in America than either the white or the silver colors. So I would believe that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's kind of surprising, but he said that like white and silver are the worst-selling colors in America. Mm. Um, so you know what? I, I think we might get this, and I'm very excited, and I know that that Brian... Would have been right there with me buying one <laughs> if it weren't for. I the actually was amazed that you. Uh, I thought for sure you would make sure you were in Japan long enough for it to be released, but I guess you don't want the Japanese one. Yeah, I don't. I don't want an import one. I yeah. don't. I don't do enough imports. I mean, I have imports for my DS, but I don't play enough imports for the 3DS at this point. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I I said I think you would have been right there with me in buying one of these if it weren't for the fact that Nintendo has now just announced. <sighs> A Animal Crossing version of the 3DS XL. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do, Brian? Uh, I think I I will eventually come down and I will realize that I need to go with pink and white. But it is really... I mean, like, as as happy as I am, I actually was kind of crestfallen when I saw it. I was like, no, no, you know, my plans were set. You know, I've, I've like, scribbled on my little notepad with hearts and everything, you know. Oh, pink and white. I haven't really, but, you know, um, I was all set for pink and white, and now they throw this curveball at me. It's terrible. But I I think your bright idea was that you could get the Japanese Animal Crossing (laughs) 3XL. And then buy an American pink and white 3DS XL, and you would be all set and ready to go. Yeah, but you know, my really intelligent plan was that I could save money if I bought (laughs) a pink regular 3DS from Japan and then the pink and white from America. Oh. So see, that just throws everything in, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Does any of this excite you at all, Anne? Yes, yes, (laughs) it does. I'll tell you why, because... I wanted that Pikachu yellow 3DS LL. (laughs) And I got my host mother to even go to a Pokemon Center on the second day that they were offering pre-orders to get me one, but they were already sold out. And I was so sad. (laughs) So sad. I really wanted this, you know. I've never had a limited edition console before. And, you know, I love Pokemon, so I thought it would be perfect. And then, you know, the pink and white one was announced, and I thought, well, you know, I'm kind of already committed to wanting a Japanese 3DS LL because, you know, there are a couple of games that I really want, like um, Bravely Default, and I wouldn't mind getting Animal Crossing early and some other stuff. So, yeah, after I, you know, was like committed to getting the Pikachu LL, I thought, okay, well, at least I'm going to get a Japanese one at some point. 
probably before the end of the year. And then, but I love the I love the pink and white. Don't get me wrong, but I really just part of me really wanted to have a limited edition something. <laughs> so when they announced <laughs> the Animal Crossing one, it's like perfect because I love Animal Crossing and I just I think it's adorable. So yes, I'm going to get it. I'm committed to getting it. Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope they offer pre-orders like on Amazon or something because after being burned by that Pikachu LL, I'm worried that you know it'll sell out really quickly or something are are we surprised at all at how long it took for animal crossing to come out a bit yeah was it wasn't ever supposed to be like launch window or anything though was it but i mean they announced it a long time ago but i remember being at the e3 where they had they revealed the 3ds yeah and they they had that playable demo there the game so it kind of made you think like it was going to be coming you know sooner rather than later yeah and just feels to me like it's taken a long time for it to finally come and so i mean at this point we're not going to get in america what till like next year yeah Yeah. i think early next year but yeah still well so far they've only committed to the first six months oh really (laughs) (laughs) i think i think that's what they said unless i'm wrong someone can correct Uh. me but I thought they said the first half of next year, which, I don't know. I'm hoping, like, February. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, hopefully that means it's better, right? But who knows? <laughs> it won't matter. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, I'm a sucker for Animal Crossing, so really, it does not matter. <laughs> it could be crap, and I would probably still love it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So now I know we also talked about South Savvy last show. Uh, Brian, didn't you break down and buy that? I did. You did. I haven't, and I also have the sequel pre-ordered. <laughs> <laughs> there you and go. I, I've played literally 20 minutes of the DS version, but I liked it. I mean, I've just been, I, I was, I, <laughs> I was like forcing myself to get through Rhythm Thief and the Emperor's Treasure, and then the Dempa Men came out, and I've been totally, completely obsessed, so I haven't played anything but those two games in the last two weeks. Well, we'll get to that shortly. Um, so, TGS. TGS is always an interesting show because, you know, E3 has be, kind of become the place for companies to announce their big announcements, even if they're Japanese companies. So TGS kind of feels weird. Um, it doesn't feel like it has the importance that it used to have. Mm. And especially this year going, it, there was a really strange atmosphere there. Um, for example, at the Square Enix booth at TGS, there were literally no games that you could play. Huh. It was all just like monitors showing you stuff. Uh. Uh, even still, the first public day for TGS, there were 95,000 visitors to the show. Wow. So it's a show that is getting bigger visitor-wise, but... It, it almost felt like there was not the effort that there was last year from the companies. Um, but there were still a lot of interesting games there, and I, I just wanted to run through real quick some of them that I played. I'm not going to talk too much on them, but um, I played a lot of great Vita games. And the interesting thing about us being in the West here is that we hear, oh, the Vita's dying all the time, you know. And there's that kind of attitude going around, but I went to TGS and noticed there were a lot of games for the Vita. A lot. And a lot of them were really fun. And there are games coming for the Vita. So I, I think this kind of doom and gloom that we have over here 
isn't necessarily over in Japan as well. I mean, it's not doing as well as it should be, but there are still a lot of games coming for it. Uh, I played uh, the new Ease, Ease Celseta. That was actually a lot of fun. Uh, I played Technica Tune, which is a touch-based rhythm game from a Korean company called Pentavision, which this is the next game in the line of DJ Max games, if you've ever heard of those. Uh, I played Fantasy Star Online 2, the Vita version, and that works really, really well. And now, I did hope. You, sorry, did you play the no. PC version at all to have a point uh, of comparison or not? Just a little bit. Okay. Just a little bit, but I, I just I really like how it plays on on the Vita because you kind of have that, you know, on PC MMORPGs you have the the F key buttons or whatever they kind of are. They sit at the bottom mm-hmm. of the, the 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 screen, and it's some sort of you know like you push the one key and it does that. You push the two key and it does that or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that kind of like quick task bar at the bottom, but it's all touchscreen based, and oh. it actually ends up working really, really well. Oh, like, nice. you, you never know with kind of touch touch interfaces if they're going to work or not, but it does in this game. Um, I, Sega hasn't announced yet a English language version of this game, but it is going to be free to play. So I'm assuming that once the Japanese version comes out, you'll be able to just get online download it to your Vita and, and play it. I guess there's a whole thing about the user accounts, though. Yeah, then they, they've walked user accounts to the memory card now. Yes, <laughs> they, new they, update, they... So Most recent update Which, makes... Now, yes. Yeah. Locked. Well, I thought uh, all of Fantasy Star Online 2, the English version, was coming in 2013, or did they well, not they, announce the Vita version? They've announced the PC, the PC version. Yeah, they've only announced the PC version so oh, far. Oh, let's see. I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but I've played about 20 hours of the Japanese oh, <laughs> PC really? version. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm quite obsessed with it. So, were you a fan of the first Fantasy Star Online at all? Never played it. Oh, see <laughs> Never, that? Never, yeah. yeah. Wow. So, I, I'm interested, yeah, in the Vita version. It looks quite nice. Um, were you able I... to play multiplayer, or was it just a single player? Yeah, we, we played a multiplayer uh, oh. campaign. I was gonna say, I for the original Fantasy Star, I think I end up playing seventy-two days worth of that game. <laughs> wow! For twenty-four hour, twenty-four hour days. Um, so yeah, I played more than a little bit of that first game. I loved it. So I'm, I'm really hoping they announce the Vita version. I think the Vita version is gonna be a really great version of that game. Mm. But I'm, I'm curious to see like how it compares to the the PC version. Um, I played Monster Hunter 3G, which was announced released in America on both the 3DS and the Wii U. <laughs> they will connect together. Uh, but let me ask you this. So, we, we don't get a lot of Monster Hunter games here in America. They finally announced that we're getting Monster Hunter 3G, but the same time they're announcing this, Japan is being shown Monster Hunter 4. <laughs> and Monster Hunter 4 is online playable Whereas 3G is only local play. Like, do, do you... Because I feel like they should have announced 4 for us. Because I think for Westerners, it makes far more sense to give us the version that you can play online. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it's kind of like... Unfortunately, right now from Capcom, we take what we can get. But... 
Yeah, it does uh, seem like an odd decision. Yeah, it's kind of like they're shooting themselves in the foot to release a local play-only game in the U.S. You know, Monster Hunter isn't that popular anyway, but at least if it had the online play, that would be a draw that I think, you right. know, some people that maybe haven't um, played this series before might get into it, but uh, yeah... It's really not a. It's not a game that you're gonna play hours and hours of single player, uh, from what my understanding, anyway. So it kind of needs that. Yeah. So I I really hope because it kind of reminds me of uh, speaking of Fantasy Star, what Sega did with Fantasy Star Portable was like. Fantasy Star Portable One comes out in Japan. We don't get it for like a year later, and right after they announced that we're getting Fantasy Star Portable One, Fantasy Star Portable Two gets announced in Japan. You're kind of like, well, now I know that two is out there. I don't want to buy one. I want to buy two. You know, I want the, the better version. Yeah. And that's almost what it feels like here. So it's a real shame. And I, I, I worry that Capcom, by doing this, maybe it's not going to be as popular as it might have been if Monster Hunter 4 hadn't been announced. And then Capcom will say, well, look, you know, you Americans aren't buying Monster Hunter, so why should we keep bringing them over? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, isn't that that's kind of what they did with the the Ace Attorney series, I believe. All right. So, uh, I played two games from uh, Gung Ho Online Entertainment, who have just opened up an American branch of their company. I played Dokuro, which is this really adorable little puzzle game on the Vita. Uh, you're this uh, knight who was who somehow was killed, so now you're just a skeleton. And you find this princess in a castle, and you're trying to save the princess and get her out. But when you're in a skeleton form, she can't see you. She just naturally walks to the right. And so you have to position all these blocks or levers or platforms or or clear traps or whatever so the princess can get all the way to the end of each stage. Uh, But occasionally you'll find a potion that lets you turn back to a human being, and that's when she can see you. Uh, and as a human, you can carry her, and you can fight off monsters. As a skeleton, you can only knock monsters away, and you can't carry her or anything. So it's it's like, you know, a, a, a kind of a, okay, here's an adventure puzzle game where you solve all these different challenges. But I said it's really, really cute, and it's got a, this almost kind of like a chalkboard style of artwork. And that's going to be a downloadable uh, game for your Vita. And they also showed off uh, Picoto Knights which is a four-player action-adventure kind of arcade-style game, like a Castle Crashers or something. Uh, And it's free to play. So you you get the game, you get it for free, but you can purchase items to kind of, like, change how your character looks or to give you... You know, it's it's one of these kind of games where it's... You can't necessarily buy power, but you can buy things that will help you progress quicker. Hmm. Um, I put EX Troopers, which is the multiplayer portion of Capcom's Lost Planet series. Since the new Lost Planet 3 doesn't have the multiplayer anymore, they kind of spun that off, but now it's very, very Japanese. (laughs) So it has very kind of like anime stereotypical characters in it now versus what it used to be. But it was a lot of fun. It, it really does feel kind of like a, another, you know, Monster Hunter Fantasy Star Online kind of thing. Hmm. Was it uh, the Vita version that you played? Yep, yep, that's the... No, um, no, I'm sorry, that was the 3DS version. It's 3DS yeah. and PS3. 
Oh, PS3, that's right. What a weird combination. Yeah. It's a very, very <laughs> strange combination. Huh. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, it was really fun. And it, that, I don't think Capcom has announced for America at all, or for the West, period. No, yeah, they haven't. I have a feeling it's not coming. <laughs> yeah, I would. I can't believe it would. It. Yeah. And the 3DS version doesn't have online play either, right? Or I don't think so. Yeah. I think it was all local. See, that's the problem. Is like this is what you really understand, you know, being in Japan. Because um, I was at, you know, being there at TGS, I saw maybe like two or three people with Vitas, two or three people with PSPs. And I saw hundreds of people with <laughs> 3DSs. Huh. Wow. And you kind of... I bet you got a lot of street passes then. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, after a while, you're kind of like, man, the street pass is really goofy. Just because it's like, <laughs> I'm just solving puzzles and doing this RPG that is utterly frustrating. Um, but there's still this, this just real draw to when you see that little white blinking green that you want to go in there and, like, see who you met and stuff. Yeah. Um, but like Japan's really a great culture for doing that kind of stuff, for for carrying your 3ds around everywhere, for getting street passes, for finding people and playing games together somewhere, you know. And in America, it's a lot tougher for us. So a lot of games like this just aren't aren't made for us. And and you being in Japan, you really really understand how made for Japan the 3ds is. Mm. Mm. and how much stuff we miss out on in the West because of the way our cities are structured and everything. Um, Sony had a press conference, and they announced a few things. They, the one system they dropped the price for was a PSP, which makes absolutely no sense to me at all. <laughs> and because new colors. Yes, <laughs> new, new, new colors and a price drop because... If there's one system that Sony should be selling right now, it is the PSP. <laughs> not their struggling Vita, not the PS3 or anything. Yeah. But they did have a couple few announcements. Uh, I was very, very excited about this. Uh, Muramasa is coming to the Vita. This was, of course, the, the beautiful 2D side-scrolling action game from uh, VanillaWare that came out for the Wii. And I tried playing it on the Wii, but my problem was playing this really gorgeous hand-drawn artwork-based game on my HDTV when the game wasn't in HD was just really, really tough. Huh. So I think it's going to look beautiful on the, on, the, uh, on the Vita, and I'm very excited by that. And I'm probably the only person in the world ex- that is a fan of this series, but uh, Valhalla Nights 3 was announced for the Vita. And I really liked the Valhalla Nights games for the uh, PSP. So I was excited about that too. So now Brian put uh, Harmonite on this list here. Yep. Have you, have you played <laughs> this at all, Brian? No, no, because uh, it's only been released in Japan, right? Right. I didn't know if you had, knew somebody who maybe... No, Japanese. no. But I've watched videos of it. It looks completely adorable. So this is, uh, this is of course, from Game Freak, who is well well-known for some series called Pokemon. <laughs> and this is like their first non-Pokemon game in a long, long time. And it's for the 3DS, the eShop downloadable game. And it's a rhythm-based platformer. And I have a friend who played it, and he loved it. Oh, good. So it sounds very awesome. And I just hope and pray that we get it at some point here in America, or in the West, I should say in English. 
I'm sure we will. Yeah. But the question always is when, you know. It doesn't seem like something that would be all that difficult to localize, though, does it? No, I don't think so. Well, so on top I'll... of that, isn't all the dialogue in the game already in English anyway? So there's not yeah. much to localize. You know, they don't even have to worry about, you know, the problem of getting voice actors or any of that. So. Yeah, but uh, you're forgetting that we're talking about Nintendo of America. Yeah. At least for us. <laughs> That's true. I think we'll get it at some point. It just depends on how long. Unfortunately, logic and reason mean nothing to Nintendo of America. (laughs) You have better better chance of getting games in in Australia than we have getting games from uh, Nintendo of America sometimes. (laughs) Uh, Was there anything else TGS related that you guys wanted to talk about? I want to hear... A story or something about your Japan, you know, your experience in Japan. You know, uh, I'm sure you, you. I heard that you um, picked up some games and goodies. Oh and things. yeah. Do you have anything you, you know, any awesome stuff you can tell us about? <laughs> so um, I picked up a few things. Uh, first of all, I I put a photo up on on Twitter about this. I picked up. They have what I love about Japan is they have all of these great little toys, and they have. Um, Oh, what we call in America or in the West. I keep thinking America, I say the West. In the West, we say like capsule, capsule toys or capsule machines. You know, you put, your, you put your change in, you turn the little dial and a little like plastic egg pops out and you open up the egg and there's a toy inside or something, you know. Mm. Um, these are huge in Japan and they have all sorts of figures and little little trinkets and all these kinds of things. And what's funny is there's this whole industry around you buying those, but buying them once somebody's opened them. Because if I go to a machine and put in my 100 yen or 200 yen and turn the little dial, I don't know what I'm getting. You know, let's say it's a set of seven figures. I don't know which figure I'm getting. So what somebody does is they they buy the box, they open all them up, they rewrap them in little individual baggies, and they sell each of those seven figures with a price that is set determining determined by how popular that character is. <laughs> so you go to these stores and there are walls and walls and walls of these capsule toy toys that you can look through and, and, and find the specific one you want instead of having the adventure of going to the machine and turning the dial. <laughs> so one of the things they had were these little miniature 3DSs. Whoa. And they had Almost all of the current Japanese colors, they did not have purple, but they had white, black, the, the lighter blue, the darker blue, and the pink. And I think that's the main colors they had. So they're these little, like, kind of phone strap 3DSs. You, it's, it's, it's a little plastic 3DS. You can totally open it up. And there's the little buttons and the little circle pad and everything. And then on the one I got, it was based around um, uh, Mario Land 3D. So the the static little screenshots they have are from Mario Land 3D on this little <laughs> 3DS. Hmm. So I found a pink one and I put it together with my pink 3DS. So now my, my regular pink 3DS has a little baby pink <laughs> 3DS <laughs> always attached to it. Um I found the Pokemon typing game for the DS. They had that on clearance for, I think it was $15. Oh, nice. And I always wanted that crazy keyboard for the, for the DS for just whatever reason. I like DS 
things. Uh, so I picked that up. They had the... I think we got in the, in the West, I'm not sure, the DS game where you, it comes with the two little pedometers and you can kind of track huh. how far you've walked every day. It's like little infrared things. Uh, they had that for $10. So I picked that up. Uh, I picked up... Brian, I don't know if you know this game or not. It's like it's like Loop Cube. Yes. Do you know that? It's it's some sort of little puzzle game. Yeah, it's adorable. Have you have you actually played it? I have, <laughs> not the DS version though. But so so what what can you tell me about it? So it's a puzzle game where you are a little like blonde pigtailed girl, and yes. you have to you're. You have a view of a stage from the side, and she has to jump and push blocks. Um, she has to push them together, I think, into pairs. It's been a while since I've played it. Okay. Um, so, like, you know, the red blocks have to be paired up, and then they'll disappear. So it's kind of like a puzzle, you know, a puzzle game in that you're making things, uh, putting things together so they disappear. Um, but there are obstacles, and, you know, if you don't, if you drop them in the wrong way, you can't finish the stage. Etc. It's just really adorable, and it's kind of a you know slightly. It's unique enough that it's interesting. I guess the the official name is Loop Pop Cube Loop Salad. <laughs> that is the <laughs> official name for this game. Um, yeah, so I, I've gotten to the point where I'm kind of like I'm to the I'm wanting to start collecting the the more obscure and the more uh, apropos to this podcast the more niche games in the ds <laughs> so this had been recommended to me before so i i picked this one up uh what else did i get oh i got the hatsune miku game for the vita oh, i do not have oh, a vita game yeah. at all i don't have a vita at all yet but i have the game once i do have one i picked up a uh, playstation network japanese point card so that I could get the Hatsune Miku PS3 game, <laughs> which is the most ridiculous thing in the world because this game costs like $40 on the PS3. But in order to play it, you have to have the PSP version of the game. And you have to connect your PSP to your PS3 and transfer over your save file. Oh. And you can't unlock anything on the PS3 version. You have to unlock everything in the PSP version. <laughs> So it's oh. it's kind of like this is this game is like only for you people who already own our game in the first place. Mm. Um, really but it, weird. But it's beautiful. It's a HD version of the game. And it's sixty frames per second. It's very wonderful and lovely and fun and all that kind of stuff. But so I, this was my second time in Tokyo. Uh, I had only been to Tokyo once before. You know, I when I lived over in Japan, I lived over in Osaka. So, Tokyo is still kind of new and interesting to me. Uh, I had been to Akihabara last time, but this was my second chance to go there again. And I was kind of going on Akihabara and looking at everything. And as I kind of mentioned to Anne on Twitter, um, you, you start to pick up on patterns that you're seeing in the <laughs> things that are sold or the things that you're seeing around. And there was a lot, a lot, a lot of things Related to this little anime called uh, Tiger and Bunny, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 what is Tiger and Bunny? Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I've never really watched much of Tiger and Bunny, but um, 
no, uh, I thought you were so excited by the series. And it's it's a show about superheroes in like a futuristic Japan and they are filming a show about superheroes. So they're all like <laughs> they're they have superhero powers but they don't they it's like a reality TV show and so they like film them going to save people and then the the viewers like will rate them and you know depending on how cool they look or their abilities and stuff and yeah <laughs> that's about all I know about it but there are two male characters and it's kind of like a bromance type thing where they're you know very buddy buddy and there's a lot of um female fans that really like it because <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were a big fan of the series the way you talked about it before to me so I oh I, I'm sorry yeah no I, I just appreciate how popular it is but I, yeah okay. I never got around to watching it for whatever reason but I definitely should but the other thing that I I came across that I thought would be of interest to our dear little Anne was <laughs> I ran into a boys love cafe uh, <laughs> that I, sounds I took, amazing. I, I, <laughs> I don't understand what, what that entails exactly, but <laughs> and, and that's that's what I told her. I'm like I'm like, okay, I understand maid cafes. You go in and there are girls in maid outfits. Uh I understand Otokonoko maid cafes, you go in and there are boys in those maid outfits. Uh I understand the uh the Various other kind of maid cafes, you know, the the ones where they treat you like royalty, the ones where they're in cosplay, the uh, the Tsundere Cafe where they go in and treat you like crap, you know, like all these cafes I understand. What are they doing in the Boys Love Cafe to make me understand that I am in a Boys Love Cafe? <laughs> Because yeah, you should have gone. You really I should have gone. <laughs> I really should have gone. A once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> yes, I should have, and I didn't. Hmm. Then you uh, could have answered your own question. I know I should have. If I had had more time, I would have gone. <laughs> um, but I got the chance to also go to other places in Tokyo. I had never been to uh, Harajuku, for example. I went to Harajuku, oh. and it was so awesome. There were so many really amazingly cool like little clothing shops that have like all these crazy kinds of fashion that you just don't have in Japan. I mean in, in, in the West. Yeah. Um I went to Shibuya, I went to Ropongi, I went to Shinjuku. So I, I, I really had the chance to go to a lot of different places in Tokyo and see a lot of different things. And it was uh it was a lot of fun. It really was. Japan is such an interesting country. Mm. Um it's it's just it's you you can't fully understand or appreciate it until you've been there, and it's never what you think it's going to be, but it's it's always something interesting. Yeah, so, so Brian, you have to plan your trip now. I know. <laughs> Since you're the only one of us who hasn't gone. <laughs> well, it's on the docket. Let's put it that way. Uh, the only problem is going right now is the exchange rate is so horrific. <laughs> Well, it's not going to be, it'll be probably more than a year for us, yes. so hopefully, hopefully things will change by then. Hopefully Japan's <laughs> market crashes and our dollar gets strong and gets them again. Right. 
Uh, it's just, it's wow, it's so terrible right now. It's so expensive to go, but mm. it's, it's, it's a fun time, and there's a lot of interesting things to do and see. And so, yeah, you know, I had, I had fun. I mean, of course, I was there for work, so I did a lot of work stuff, but I had some time to, to get out and do some other fun things. Play around. Yes. Um, what is next? So, kind of work slash playing around related. Uh, between our last podcast and this one, I went to PAX Prime. And at PAX Prime, of course, I was part of a panel that discussed um, transgender issues in gaming and kind of, in addition to that, the overall um, getting into the whole diversity in gaming and inclusiveness and how we are, you know, how are, how are companies handling diversity? How is the community handling diversity and what, what can we do better? So some of those kind of topics. And so we had, last time we had discussed uh, Gamercom and discussed that name. You know, is the name Gamercom a good name or not? And I just wanted to kind of do a quick follow-up because what I found interesting was, so some of the people on, the, on our panel who were transgender themselves were like, the important point is the convention. You know, what it does for the community and what it can do, and not necessarily what it's called. Hmm. I found that interesting. But at the exact same time, I had somebody who came up to me after the, the panel was over, who himself was, was gay, and he told me that he agreed with me in my kind of hesitation with the name, and he said that he had wished that they had gone with a different name, and that he didn't think that that name was really inclusive enough for what the convention was trying to be. So it was just it was just kind of interesting. Like I got a chance to hear kind of both sides of that, you know. And some of the people who were like, "Well, it's it's what the convention does. It's important." And there were other people who were like, "You know, it's the name can, you know, kind of sway people away from thinking this is an all inclusive panel." Yeah. And the other part about that I found interesting was there was a flyer that was passed out at Prax Prime. They kind of had a rundown of all of the uh, LGBT panels that were going on during the event. And the flyer's name was The Gay Agenda. Hmm. So that kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, it's, that's the habit. You know, that's the habit to use that kind of terminology to be all-encompassing. And it's, it's a very interesting conversation, I thought. Hmm. Just, you know, getting to see both sides of that and and talk to people on both sides and kind of thinking about, you know, what do you do and is, is the name important or is the purpose behind it important? Yeah, it's so, tough, isn't it? So yeah. did you feel that at the panel there was um, kind of a majority that felt one way or the other or was it very mixed in general? It was, it was mixed. I think it really was. Um, hmm. But the, the, it was interesting because when we did this panel at PAX East – the uh, attendees that we had for the panel, I really felt were a very wide range of people. Hmm. Uh, a lot of people who did not know much about the transgender issue or about terminology or anything. And so they were coming to the panel to kind of learn that kind of stuff. Hmm. But what I noticed at PAX Prime was that almost everybody, not, I don't want to say almost everybody, but a, a lot of people who were at our panel 
were also at all of the other LGBT-related panels. <laughs> and huh. so they were kind of people who were either part of the community themselves or who were more versed. And so, you know, for example, at PAX East, I talked about the whole the term trap and why trap is a bad word. Mm-hmm. And at that panel, there were a lot of people in the, I'd say at least half in the audience who didn't understand that word and didn't, didn't understand the connotations behind it. Whereas mm-hmm. at Prime, there was one person in our entire audience who didn't know that word. Mm-hmm. So it was really, really interesting to see kind of the complete differences between the, the, the two groups. Yeah, I wonder why that is. And I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's anything. Like I don't know if enough about Seattle and Boston to know if it's kind of like the local gaming scenes where Seattle is is closer to to more you know communities that have like, that kind of LGBT diversity in them, where that would just be the natural group of people who would come to the show and come to panels like that. Yeah. You know, or I, I don't know what the difference was, but it was it was a huge difference, and I was I was I'm very interested to, to maybe understand why, you know, that difference existed, but I don't I don't know. Huh. There was one other point from our last podcast I wanted to touch on real quick, and that was Dead or Alive Five. <laughs> 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 we talked about the swimsuits and about the uh, the fun potential sexism of this game. And a lot's come out about this game because the game has been released and people have been playing it. And kind of the the take I took on it was that when Dead or Alive 5 was first announced, the team said that they were going to try to go for a more serious and more mature angle with the game. And the game we got feels a lot like the old games did. Just (laughs) just with new character models. So it's kind of like, well, you guys really didn't do this. But what's kind of come out true or not, is the fact that the team said, yes, we were going to go more mature, we were going to go more serious, we were going to tone down the sexuality, but our fans actually said to us that they wanted even bigger breasts on the characters. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said, we talked about this a little bit, and I want to kind of get your opinions on it, but like in in playing the game, what I kind of realized was I'm I'm kind of split both ways. Is that on one hand, I I was not bothered as much by the sexuality in games like Dead or Alive, just because the series has always been very upfront about what it is, you know, and it's, it's not pretending to be something it's not. It's like yes, we have a whole cast of very cute girls who who wear very revealing outfits, and that's what our game is. But I think the part where I actually get bothered by the game is the fact that in them doing that, that almost every single girl has the exact same body type. Mm. So it's not necessarily that they're they're having fun and, and being sexy with their female characters. It's just they're taking one base model, a very skinny girl with very gigantic breasts, and just cloning her over and over and over again. With a different so, head. Yeah, so I kind of like wanted to ask you two is, 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 you know, in relation to Dead or Alive, is it okay for games to be sexy? Is Dead or Alive even sexy or is it just stupid? 
and <laughs> and do do the body types change anything? Because okay, let let's say you have a game, um, and I mean, I've never played the Choniki games, but those are all about the very big, burly, muscular men, from what I understand. So like, if you have a game that is about oh, we're a game with sexy men in it. All those male characters had the exact same body type. Like, is that sexy at that point, or is it just kind of like a juvenile <laughs> look at what sexy is? Yeah. Mm, yeah, very good point. I think. What What, what do you do think about that? Hmm. <laughs> well, it's hard to say personally because I always thought that our life was just absurd and stupid and you know it's hard for me to I guess if I try to put myself in the shoes of a I don't know a straight guy that likes you know looking at boobs then I don't know I guess isn't that um basically saying that 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 that's giving off the vibe to me that that's that's what those people find sexy and that's really all that they want to see you know they don't want to see different body types and you know um if that's what they're going for then to to appeal to that audience that's probably they're going down the right track right <laughs> i mean uh, yeah it's just very yeah it's hard to say but i mean it, it you know if you look at like issues of um playboy magazine or whatever you know they're all the same type of girls too you know in the media and everything so it kind of all ties in together i think in that regard i wouldn't expect to see different types of women because i expect the type of men that would want to play that game to only be interested in a certain type of woman anyway hmm. okay well let me let me, let me rephrase it for women so i mean you deal a lot with the the whole you know bl comics from japan mm-hmm and I feel like sometimes you get the, the ones, not that I've, I haven't seen a whole lot of them, but I've seen some. And, and you get some of them where it's kind of like the guys always look exactly the same. It's always <laughs> yep. the same, very, very skinny, very, you know, effeminate, very pretty, long-haired guys. And just to me, like, if you had an entire storyline where the, where the entire cast all looked like that, that to me too feels like a very childish look at what sexy is because you're not getting into okay what can make a a guy sexy and what can make a guy sexy in this situation you're all you're looking at is this is my one idea of what attractiveness is i'm just going to carbon copy clone it over and over and over again and call these people supposedly characters Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think you're right, though. I think the vast majority of boys of um, manga is like that, and um, of course, I'm not at it saying that's okay. But um, yeah, I think the women that read it are interested in a certain type of guy, and uh, there's a little bit of difference, you know. There, like, there's some people that are saying, you know, oh, I like the really effeminate guys because you know that's cute but then there are the other people that uh, really really dislike the men that almost look like women that you would mistake for women so there is a little bit of discrepancy between the different uh artists but overall yeah it's appealing for appealing to a certain type of audience that knows what they like and that's all they want to read yeah 
if Dead or Alive treated its male characters the same way it treats its female characters, would that make you have more respect for the game or less? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I I would respect it more. I think, yeah, because then then I would be able to look at it as more of a parody overall and um, not see it as something that is just objectifying the women in the game, the female characters in the game, because they want to appeal to this audience that likes that. You know, if they went and objectified everybody in the game, then it's kind of a self-aware parody of, you know, that sort of culture or, you know, then you can... Anybody could find it appealing, you know, it just, I think something like that would be much more interesting, um, for me anyway. Brian? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm like the total wrong person to talk about that. I mean, I have had so little interest in, I, I think the last time I was interested in Dead or, Dead or Alive was like Dead or Alive 2. Mm-hmm. Um... Just because I I could tell, even with the first one, like exactly what they're aiming for, and I wasn't I've never been much of a fighting fan anyway, so I don't know. I mean, I think it would be interesting if they did what you said and and basically did the same to the male characters, although I can guess that that is not at all what the audience would want. Um I would maybe find it more interesting, but I'd still probably ignore it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, like I said, like I, I, you know, because it's been a while since I played Dead or Alive, so playing Dead or Alive Five again, it just like I kind of, I do appreciate that. You know what? It it is what it is, and like I can't, I can't really feel too badly against the game because, like I said, it's not like this is let's say Virtual Fighter where it's trying to say, oh, this is a very very serious fighting game, you know. And and we're taking everything so maturely, you know. It, it it knows what it is, and and you know the the female characters are all cute, and they put them in cute outfits, and 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 sometimes that's okay. But <laughs> I I just I do like they need to have more variety because it does just come off such as as such a fetish. This game feels mm. so fetishy, mm. you know. The female characters do still kind of feel like those real dolls. Which has always been the the kind of the argument against the game before is that, you know, they're they're more like real dolls and less like actual women, and and they still kind of feel like that because all these body types are the exact same thing. Although, really, I mean, in a way, without knowing enough about, I mean, without having followed this series and really um, knowing what they're going for, it, to me, one thing that seems weird is that. Um, in this day and age where you can, how do I put this? You can get, you know, sexual things anywhere you want them. For yes. someone to go for a $50 game to get their kicks, um, you are going after a very probably specialized audience. I mean, I, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no I, know what, yes, I know what you mean. And that's why, to me, it's, it's so silly when, when people like, we want every girl in this game to have big breasts. And it's like, you know, if you need those big breasts, there are, are <laughs> millions of photographs on yeah, the internet. Yeah, it seems like something that, like, in 1996, when we were still on dial-up modems, 
maybe that would have been a big deal, but <laughs> I don't know. I just can't see people getting so excited about it in 2012. But hey, I'm not the audience, so what do I know? Yes. Well, something that I am excited about is Tokyo Jungle. Uh. <laughs> I have not had a chance to play it yet. It is sitting on my PS3 waiting to be played. But somebody who has played it is our very own Anne, and she is going to talk about it uh, in our little section that we call cheerleading. So yep, Anne, that's right. <laughs> Tokyo Jungle. Yeah, uh, so I guess I'll just quickly introduce the premise um, because it's very weird. Uh, but basically, the it's uh, the scene is an apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic Tokyo. Uh, I guess ten years ago, something horrible happened, and all the humans have disappeared off the face of the earth. And uh, they're leaving, you know, just the animals to kind of overrun and overtake the city. And so, fast forward ten years, and Tokyo is. Uh, overgrown with um, foliage and you know there are animals running around everywhere the elephants have escaped the zoo and they're roaming the streets and there are even dinosaurs roaming around though you don't really know why at the beginning Um, and the game tasks you with well at the beginning you start as a Pomeranian and you kind of venture out and have to uh, sustain yourself by finding food and killing things and eating them uh, making sure you don't get killed or eaten. And then you eventually mate and produce offspring. And the goal is to keep kind of re- procreating for as many generations as possible before you inevitably die. <laughs> and you will die a lot. <laughs> um, uh, so that's the survival mode. And then there's a story mode. And you collect these archives in the survival mode, which you can then unlock story scenes that you play through and they're very usually very short missions that kind of give you an idea of what's going on and you slowly start to see why humans disappeared and all of that but I haven't gotten to the end so I don't quite understand what's going on yet but it's a very fun game I'm having a lot of fun with it (laughs) I just love being able to play as all the different animals and (laughs) yeah I just uh, last night I played the chick which is uh, quite interesting because the chick is like the smallest a- animal that you can play as and it's so slow it's so <laughs> slow it just kind of like flaps its little wings and it's like flitting along it kind of looks like a little bee just flying along very slowly um and yeah but in, in on your map you'll see these little green dots and that indicates whether there's an an animal in the area but you don't know if it's a predator or if it's prey or you know if it's friendly or what so it's all very nerve-wracking <laughs> yeah but i definitely recommend it to anyone who thinks that premise sounds intriguing and it's definitely nothing we you know like nothing we've seen before so this is a game it's that a only Japan would make. This is a game that only Japan would make. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm so I'm actually very surprised that it came out in English. I was prepared to buy it off the Japanese PlayStation Network, but I'm happy I waited because the English version is only fifteen dollars, which I think is a steal, honestly, considering the amount of content in it. Um, uh, Brad Galloway over at the, the GameCritics.com said he beat the story in 18 hours, I think. 
Wow. Because you have to switch between story mode and survival mode. So, like, you'll do one story mission, and then it'll say, okay, now go back to story, uh, survival, and you have to collect more archives. And every three archives you collect, you can then unlock the story mode. So it's a lot of going back and forth. I mean, even the survival is so fun that you'll probably want to keep doing that anyway. Uh, so you can pick different animals or try to get your best score. Um, the goal, the ultimate goal, I think, is to live for 100 years, 100 in-game years. <laughs> the best I've ever done is 55, and that took, like, you know, a good 45 minutes. Of, well, I think actually one minute is the equivalent of a year. I'm not quite sure, but, huh. it's, yeah. So, and, and, you know, you constantly are trying to unlock more powerful animals so you can make it further. Because it, the way the game's structured is it's kind of randomized, like, what predators will appear or which areas will have higher food source or a higher amount of food so um yeah if you you start out with a pomeranian but you're never really going to get that far you know you might get 40 or 50 years and then they'll just start spawning like lions everywhere and there's no way you're going <laughs> to outrun a lion as a pomeranian or sometimes you outrun them but then you'll walk into an area and there'll be like 15 lions everywhere and then you're you know so it, the goal is to kind of unlock the um stronger animals and then you can slowly make your way to that coveted 100 year goal i guess <laughs> and you can you can dress up your character your animals and everything yes that's right yeah that's quite fun too uh they like the different items you find will give different stat boosts so you put hats and all sorts of things. The kendo mask is by far one of the best items I've found. So I always put my kendo mask on when <laughs> I start the game, and it looks very weird. <laughs> see, see, Brian, this is what you're missing by <laughs> not having a PS3. Yeah, see, <laughs> you well, got a PS3 and played. Yeah. To be honest, that is the kind of game that I still. I mean, I'm still considering getting one. It'll probably just be. You know, like around the time the PS4 comes out, when they drop the price or something. But I, like how, I mean, I love that kind of game. That's what I. How watch. did you end up with an Xbox over a PS3? Huh? I said, how did you end up with an Xbox over a PS3? <sighs> you know, okay, this is going to sound very strange, but maybe not for me. Um, I really desperately wanted Pac-Man Championship Edition, the original one. That's a very smart choice. And then there were some other, you know, XBLA and uh, XBLIG games that I really wanted. And I just thought, well, you know, I was actually planning to get both. And at the time, I could get a 360 cheaper. So I went with that. And honestly, that is one reason I don't want to give it up because I still love that game. So I I can't fault you then (laughs) whatsoever. I I will tell you, however, that the... uh, the version of Pac-Man Championship Edition that's on the 3DS is not bad. Yeah. Although, it's is it as fun to play on such a small screen? The problem isn't the screen. The problem is the control. Oh. If if you're a if you're a high if you're a like really hardcore player of that game, um, it can be a little bit harder once it starts going really very fast. Yeah. But I've actually been playing kind of lately, and uh, it's not bad. It's not. It's not bad at all. And you have to get it. What's the? Is it? What game do you get it on? I can't it's, remember. It's the uh, Pac-Man Galaga. Yeah. Collection. See, I I was one of the idiots that bought uh, Championship Edition for the PSP, which is 
Oh, it's it's a terrible port. It is so. I mean, you can't play it with either the D pad or the analog nub. It it is just painful. I want my money back. Even far worse than that, though. Like you, you might not have noticed this, but the the the, the timing is actually a few seconds off. Oh, because like I'm a I'm a hardcore Pac Man CE player. Like at one point. On the leaderboards, I was eighth in the entire world. Oh my god! In that, in that game, so I, I I'm a little bit hardcore about that, um, and like all my patterns and all my play styles like won't work mm. on on that version of the game because the timing is is screwed up. Well, I but, wish I could say that was wide. <laughs> yeah, but no, you know, like I said, so I'm looking at Amazon thirteen ninety nine for a used copy of Pac Man Galva Dimensions. Okay. If you ever, if you ever need to get rid of your Xbox 360, you know, it's not. <laughs> I bad. think I'm probably. It's, it's probably impossible that I will do so now. So. All right. It'll just be my Pac-Man Championship Edition machine. That is not <laughs> a bad thing at all. Uh, but but speaking of of uh, 3DS games, you have been playing something on the 3DS. Yes. What is that? The Dempa Men, which. I'm sure. Like, I'm sure by the time I'm done, I will have annoyed every person who comes to my blog because I've written about it so much. Um, and I guess I don't know. I don't actually know how um, aware people are of the game, so I'll give a little bit of a rundown. But um, the only reason why I know about it is because of you. At, and I'm guessing this is how it's pronounced: Genius Sonority. Um, and it is a 3DS digital role-playing game for $10 on the eShop. It just came out. Um, And it's this very charming kind of Dragon Quest-esque role-playing game. Um, And to be honest, like, the reason I was interested in it is I just thought I liked the art style. I thought it was really cute. And I like role-playing games. Um, But I think, I don't know, it's really surprising how the different elements appeal to me. Like, I think they do some really intelligent things with the battles um, where you can speed them up as much as you want in terms of you can just let the AI do its thing. You can, you know, assign every task to every character if you want. You can kind of go in between, you know, half and half. Um, And there's just something charming. I mean, you have like an eight-character party, uh, and, you know, you're, like, sending them to head bash all the enemies if you want and use different skills, and the enemies are very cute. So I don't know what else to say about it. And I will say the... Okay, so one element of it is that you use your the AR technology or the, the cameras of the 3DS to catch the Dempamen as you're, um, like, wandering around town and going by Wi-Fi signals. Um and it is surprisingly addictive, <laughs> and you'll it, you'll surprise yourself with how much you are willing to embarrass yourself to get like a certain <laughs> creature. Yeah, see, so. it's funny. It's funny because I I never knew anything about this game until you kept talking about it, <laughs> and then like right after that, they like sent me an email like, "Do you want to come see Dempa Men at TGS?" <laughs> I was like, "Well, sure, I'll come check this thing out." Um, so I said I've got it now. I just haven't I haven't really played it yet, but I I keep meaning it's it's actually my next game I'm going to play. You should try it. Yes. I will say though, one thing that I think is strange about it is that it is so cute and it has so many kind of Pokemon elements to it that 
it, I'm surprised at how, I don't know if I should say it's a hardcore role-playing game, but it is difficult, and you do run into a lot of enemies. I mean, they're visible on the map, but you can't always outrun them. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of old school in that way, and I'm not sure it's going to appeal to everyone. I mean, I am an admitted, you know, I like grinding, I like battles. <laughs> so uh, it'll be interesting to hear if you hate those things. I don't know if you'll love it or hate it. I honestly don't I, know. I, I hate grinding, I hate random battles. Uh, but um, no, it's funny because like when I was playing it at TGS, just in the short time I was playing it, I was very surprised by kind of like how difficult it was. Yeah. Because like you you're going down this dungeon, and I was very quickly running out of life, and then I had to like run all the way back out the dungeon. Yeah. From where I came in order to get out and heal myself and everything, so it it, it did seem like it was pretty challenging. It is. And although I will say one thing that I really like about it is that. Um, you know, like, I think right now I have 50 Dempamen in my house. Um, but the cool thing is, like, I have a party of eight, and whenever I go out in battle, um, experience is shared by all 50. So you get wow. back to your house, and they all level up with you, so you never feel like the ones you've left behind are unusable, which is hmm. annoying to me. So I, I really yeah, like yeah. that you can constantly switch your party if it's not working. Um, I don't know. I really like that aspect of it. That's cool. Yeah, because I, I do hate that. Like, because you get to a point in RPGs where if that if if it's only who you have in your party, then very very quickly you end up just having no reason to go back and use your other characters. Yeah, you have to keep using them. Yeah. So. So, <laughs> um, so you know, what I think I'm gonna do is instead of instead of talking about a game for cheerleading, I'm gonna actually go back and tell a story I've got to tell during my TGS trip. <laughs> um. Good thing Brian especially appreciate this. So, for our listeners, I don't know if you know it's not, but there's these retro game bars in Japan. Uh, in Tokyo, there was one called B Dash that I went to. So you go to this place, and it's a it's a it's a tiny tiny bar. There's like three tables, and then a, a an actual bar where you could have maybe three people total sitting at it. Um. So, like, 15, 15 customers total in this place. So, you pay five bucks going in. And then, as far as we understood it, is that for every hour I was there, I had to buy one drink. Hmm. And the, the drink I bought was the Pikachu. Oh. <laughs> it was, uh, I don't even remember the combination of liquors that it, it was, but um, they have all these video game-related drinks. And so what it is, is at the tables that I was at, they had a Famicom, a Super Famicom, and a Nintendo 64. Hmm. They also had there, for, for you could get, they had, uh, you know, Genesis, the TurboGrafx, SuperGrafx, Dreamcast. They had, they had a, a big HDTV setup with all the current systems. And so you sit there, you get your drink, you get a little snack or whatever if you want, and all on the back wall, like covering the back wall, are all these Famicom cartridges. Hmm. Just all in these little, like, little shelves. Down the floor, box after box of Super Famicom games, N64 games, Genesis, you know, whatever systems they had, they had games for. And you go there, you get your drink, you sit there with your friends, and you just play video games. <laughs> wow. And 
it's just it's a really cool atmosphere because I think kind of like what I'm used to is if you go out to a bar, it's always very loud, it's very noisy, and it's all it's all about like either getting a lot of food or hitting on people. Like one of the the two kind of reasons you're at the bar, you know, or or just getting totally wasted, I guess. Um, But this is about just sitting there relaxing, having a drink, and, and just playing old games. And the reason this would never, never, ever work in America is because the games are all just sitting there. <laughs> and you just go and you pick up the one you want, you take it over yourself, you put it in the system, and you start playing it, you know? If here in America, half those games would be gone after the first week. Yeah. People would have st- would steal them. But they're just really, really cool. And it's just a really cool vibe. You know, you, you it, it's just, you're, you're there to play games and to enjoy games and, and to hang out with friends and... You know, it's it's really awesome, and I wish we could have them over here, but they would never work the way they work in Japan. And so I think for anybody going to Japan, definitely see if the city you're going to has one of these little video game bars. Because I went to one in Osaka, and it was the same kind of thing. Um, it's just awesome, you know. And I, I actually I'm, 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 on my blog, I posted photos of the bar that I went to, oh. and like all the all the Famicom cartridges on the wall and everything. So I, I played like the. Uh, I played the Sailor Moon Super New Famicom game, Ooh. and I played Yoshi's Island, and I played some really weird Famicom game I'd never played before. Um, especially for you, Brian, who I know I know your your adoration of, of old Famicom games. <laughs> yes, especially nuts. Famicom. Yes, you would go nuts in, in, in this. <laughs> uh, but it is now time for niches of them all. Our little game on the show, where the three of us. Try to stump <laughs> our co-hosts uh, with a game that we own, a game that we've played, and that hopefully the other two people will not know and not have played. As always, Anne goes first. <laughs> Anne. <laughs> As always, this is turning into As a thing. Then, is it? <laughs> I'm looking at the little list, and your name is oh. first, so you're going first. Yeah, worst first, I guess, is how, how no. it works. <laughs> uh, no, I'm having a hard time now. I know you guys are hard to stump, and so I, I always come up with a pick, and then I think, no, they're going to know it, and I'm just so <laughs> stupid. So uh, today I have a game that um, y- you will probably be able to come up with an idea of what it is based on the title, but... I'm banking on the fact that neither of you have played it, hopefully. So, I'll tell you what it is. All right, all right. I'm excited, I'm excited. Sorry, what? I said I'm excited by this. Go ahead. Oh, (laughs) it's not really that exciting, but okay. The Powerpuff Girls Chemical Extraction, spelled with an X. Do we, do we get to know what system it's on? I can't remember. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But it was, uh, let's see, it was originally released on the N64, but I oh. own the PlayStation port. Oh, I was going to say Game Boy Advance. I was wrong. I think I know what it is. Ah. See, there are quite a few Powerpuff Girls games. I know, I there, know. So, so uh, I- yeah, this is the only one I own, and, yeah, it's interesting, so... Uh, I'm sure you can take a stab at what kind of game it is, but you might not. Know. Yeah, Brian, Brian, make 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 your guess. Do you want to go first? Mine. Okay, uh, I will go first. In. I think since it's called chemical extraction, 
I am going to say it's a Powerpuff Girls-based puzzle game. Oh. Something about chemicals that you're, you're working with and that you're trying to get them to go away, you know, and that is the extraction. And I know I'm wrong, but that's going to be my guess. <laughs> well, see, okay. you know what? I, I thought I was very smart until you commented that there were many uh, games featuring those characters. So now I'm probably going to be very stupid. Um, the only one I know about is like a Smash Brothers Brawl-er kind of game. And I don't know if that's what I'm guessing it is, but I don't know if that's true. Well, actually, Brian, you're more correct in this case. <laughs> uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, like a brawling game, actually, um, but it's only one-on-one. So oh. you, you, you play, ooh, I can't even remember now, you start with the three Powerpuff Girls and you're fighting all the evil characters from the series, um, and there's a story mode, and then there's just a versus mode. I think once you unlock the characters, you can play as the as the villains as well in the versus mode. But so you play through the story as the different Powerpuff Girls, and basically, uh, if you're familiar with the animated series, the premise is that uh, I believe Mojo Jojo has stolen the Chemical X, which is the chemical that gave the Powerpuff Girls their powers, and he wants to use it so that he can get powers or two or something. <laughs> and so you're trying to reclaim it. And I'm not really sure why it's extraction, but uh, <laughs> yeah, because it all revolves around this mysterious chemical X. I'm not sure. But uh, so uh, each level uh, you kind of play through the various areas of the city and each level is you playing as one Powerpuff girl versus one of the villains from the, series and you're just in this very small enclosed space it's kind of like a playpen almost idea like it'll be the uh school classroom or uh, i think there's um like mojo jojo's evil lair or the different locations you play in and you just fight them and you have to beat them best of three uh to progress through the story but the funny thing about the game is that Basically, you you can kick and punch them, but it's a lot easier to take objects from the area and chuck them at the other character. <laughs> so, like, literally, you'll be, like, playing as bubbles, and you'll walk over to a sofa and pick the sofa up and chuck it at the opponent. And so it's just basically this match of you, like, throwing things at each other. <laughs> so it's actually quite amusing, even though it's not a very good game, and the controls are rather sluggish on the PS, PlayStation 1 version. Um, but I get a big kick out of it because uh, I'm a big Powerpuff Girls fan and uh, <laughs> it's just something really funny about the fact that even though they have all of these powers, the best way to defeat the enemy is by chucking furniture at them. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, yeah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think that uh, I don't think either one of us no. really... Got it. So Anne gets two points for this round. <laughs> uh, Brian, what is your your okay. title? Okay. And before I go, I want to say Anne that it's funny that you thought you were the worst one because I I was thinking that I should go first because I I feel like mine are always the lamest of the three of ours. So <laughs> oh, nothing lamer than a Powerpuff Girls game. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, All right. <laughs> 
So this is an interesting one because I honestly have no idea if like people listening will think it's niche or not. Um, but just from my own personal experience, you know, it was a game that I played when I was younger and I totally forgot about it. And I, it was one of those games where like uh, I spent a long time online trying to remember, like, you know, I'd ask people like it was this game and blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you all that backstory, but <laughs> it is called Planet's Edge and it was released for the PC and just for a little interesting added information, supposedly it was also released for the FM Towns. I don't, I obviously didn't play wow. that version, but. Planet's Edge. Planet's Edge. Mm. Oh. Um, while Anne's thinking, I'm going to take a guess because I don't know this. So I'm going to say it's kind of like one of those out of this world flashback style games where it's kind of like an adventure game and it's um, like very demanding control wise and difficulty wise and there's a lot of like crazy platforming you have to end up doing with very precisely timed jumps and you're maybe on some alien planet I don't know I'm not going that far I don't want to jinx myself too much but I think it's like a kind of out of this world flashback style like retro computer platforming adventure game Okay. So that, that, that that is my guess. Hmm. Well, yeah, I'm not very good with PC games, so I'm going to have to say a guess as well. Uh, I'm thinking it's more like... Hmm, I'm thinking like intergalactic space battles or something. Like, you know, maybe kind Ooh. of sim management, like managing your fleet or... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Something maybe kind of Starcrafty almost, basically just because there's planet in the title and that's what comes to mind. So <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> well, I would say Anne is the closest. Oh, it's kind of and it's a hard game to explain because it has many elements to it. Um, it's I would guess at its core, it's a space exploration game. Um, basically the premise is that the earth has disappeared and you are on the moon and you're trying to make the earth reappear. It hasn't been blown up or anything. Um, and so throughout the game, you're based on the moon and you have a ship with a crew of four and you go out into space and you try to, uh, like sometimes with your ship, you will find a planet that has certain ores or, uh, chemicals or whatever that you can mine from the surface and so you will you know you'll zoom around a planet and you will mine certain things and take them back to the moon that will help you build better ships to help you get further into space that will help you you know figure out what has happened to the earth uh but then also there are times where sh other alien ships will attack you and then you have to play kind of a well you know like space battle where you're the two ships are fighting each other and shooting at each other. And then at other points, you will actually go onto the planet and it's kind of a role-playing game where your four characters, you know, uh, explore the planet and kill aliens and try to find, you know, information about the missing Earth, etc. So it's quite ambitious. <laughs> um, it was made by the same people who made Might and Magic series, so... Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I just remember really loving it when I was a kid. It was one of the first kind of role-playing games that I ever played. And it was really, you know, clunky in certain areas, but I still really have fond memories of it. Did you ever beat it? Did you ever find out what happened? Oh, God, no. No. I mean, I remember I played it for hours and hours and hours, but the problem is there are so many planets. Um, And... And also, like, whenever you engage in spaceship-to-spaceship battle, it's the controls are terrible. It was really difficult. And then, the uh, like, exploring the, the, the surface of a planet was kind of difficult as well. So, I mean, even though it really engaged me, it was a difficult game to play. <laughs> so, you know, I don't even think I got remotely close to ever beating it, to tell you the truth. It's really funny looking back at older computer games, because so many of them were just so obscure... And so hard, and and so obtuse yeah. in, in ha- what you're supposed to do that like it's it's a wonder if anybody ever beat any game. Like <laughs> <that era. laughs> and it's funny because I used to ask around because I would remember the premise of it and remember what you did, and I would ask people like, "Do you remember this game?" And people would say like Starcraft or etc. I'm like, "No, right. I know that's not it." And it just took home, uh, like the last time I was home, I actually found the box and the discs, <laughs> and so that's what reminded me of it. But wow! Anyway, there you go. Well, you get you get two two points as well. <laughs> um, I unfortunately will get no points because I am disqualifying myself this week <sighs> because I am picking a game that I should not be allowed to pick, but I'm going to do it anyway because I bought this game while I was in Japan. I bought it for a grand total of, of uh, 120 yen, which is about a buck fifty. Uh, it is a PS1 game. And the title is Jingle Cats. <gasps> I have heard of Jingle Cats. Uh oh! So you might know this. So let, well, we'll let Anne go first and see what Anne thinks Jingle Cats is. Oh, uh, Jingle Cats. Huh. I have no idea. Um, hmm. I'm gonna say it's some kind of platformer featuring cats because you know anything could be a platformer, right? <laughs> yeah, I have no clue. I bet it's more interesting than that, though. Brian, would you like to take a guess? Well, okay. Let me preface this by saying the only reason I've heard of it is because a few years ago I was really obsessed with. PS1 and Saturn like emulation so I would of course you know search out every ISO I could possibly find and I know that's where I came across it however I don't entirely remember what it was about although I am having flashbacks of it being much lamer than what Anne said and being something like is isn't it is it possible that it's just like cats that are singing Christmas tunes or something that there's no real it's not a platform or anything it's not a platformer, no. But I'm not right. Uh, you are partially right. <laughs> so, well, tell us what it is. Then. <laughs> the game starts off, and you have a selection of, I think, eight cats. I think uh, four boy cats and four girl cats. So you, you, you pick your cat from the, the boy and girl cats, and then you pick a cat that you want your cat to fall in love with oh. from the boy and the girl cats. And so you then are living in a house, and it's all, like, very it's, – it's like if you know, like, uh, home movies or Dr. Cats or those other kind of cartoons, it's almost like that kind of artwork style. And so you're in this house, and you have two cats are living in the house, and then you have to do things to make the cats happy. 
So you have to feed them at a certain time. You have to pet them. Uh, for some strange reason, you, you put them in the bathtub and, and give them a bath, which usually cats don't like, but in this <laughs> game, they strangely do. Um, the, the cats might, might get on top of a table and knock a, a, a glass down and break the glass. And you have to clean up the glass and everything, or, or the cats will fall asleep on the couch or whatever. So you live with these cats for a while, and you're, you're trying to get the two cats to end up loving each other. And if you can get the two cats to love each other, then all the other cats come in, and they sing a song <laughs> as in the jingle cats that you've seen i mean not necessarily christmas songs but like uh the one i saw was smoke on the water okay so you have these cats cats meowing the song smoke on the water uh and then you've won that stage and you go to a new house and you pick a set of two new cats and you have to make those two cats fall in love <laughs> and that is the game so is it it's kind of like tamagotchi-esque Kind of, yes. So you're just, like, doing little things to make them happy and dingling bells or, like... Yes. I I don't know. It's it's not deep at all, but there is a little bit of simulation to it. Is it cute? It's it's very cute, yes. (laughs) But it's, it's a very distinct art style where people might just find it completely ugly. Huh. Uh, but I don't know. It's like it's, it's like a cute little game, and like I had no clue what I was doing when I first started playing it. And it was just the weirdest thing. Um, but yes, yeah, so you try to make the cats like each other, and then they'll sing songs for you. <laughs> it's bizarre. It is. Now, now I'm going to have to look this up because I want to see what it looks like. Yeah, I want to see them singing. <laughs> is there completely... any? I guess you make so many cats fall in love, and then you beat the game, or is it kind I of an infinite thing, know. and they'll start I don't, I don't repeating know songs for you, or? Yeah, I don't know that part yet because I have, I just started playing it last yeah. night, so oh, okay. I'm not certain. But um, <laughs> we have to I, let I know us know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know like the houses are different that you can be in, so uh, it'll be different style houses, and there's some kind of weather thing like it'll be like it'll rain outside sometimes and stuff, and it's really really weird and very Japanese. <laughs> and for dollar fifty, I don't regret it at all. Can I ask you to both a question, and maybe you won't know this answer, but for people who know far more about Japan than I do, is there some obsession with smoke on the water in Japan? I don't know. Because, like, it's just weird that you brought it up in this um, game, and then, like, uh, I think about um, Band Brothers, the DS game, and it's in there. It appears in a lot of Nintendo games for some reason. It's very strange. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I remember, you know what? I remember you asked the question about the ramen. If they have oh, like yeah. the cheapo ramen. And they actually, they do. But they have like different kinds than we do over here. Um, but like, they have a lot more variety of a little higher grade ramen. Mm. So like, you can buy the same kind of package, but maybe it'll be like 45 cents and it has a few different like uh, I have like, a, a package of the oil that you mix in and stuff, oh, you know, yeah. and it'll have a few extra things in there. Or you buy the next level up, which comes with a, a bigger set of things, and the next level up has even more stuff, and and you cook it on the stove and everything. So they have like a whole different kind, like a lot of levels. But I'm trying to think, cause, like I don't remember ever seeing anybody eat like the kind of ramen we have over here, that just kind of 15 cent package stuff. Yeah. You know, because there were there were always so many other more options for ramen if you wanted ramen, that there was just almost no reason for you to go out and eat something like that. 
but well thank you yes <laughs> and i think that does it for our show i think so it was a an interesting all over the place episode for sure it was <laughs> and a little bit longer than normal uh but i'm sure we'll be back to our regular amount of time next time but uh before we go either either of you is there anything you want to say final parting words before we stop our recording no other than thanks for you know if anyone's actually listening thank you very much and we certainly well i certainly have a lot of fun doing it so i'm glad you guys have made it possible i met people in japan who said they listen i met somebody who who had the nichiest nichiest (laughs) conversation with me so I do know that we have listeners out there. Oh, good. Wow. Well, thank That's you so for nice. sticking with us yeah. then. Yes. Yeah, and hopefully everybody likes this episode too. And yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear some feedback from our listeners um, about like which games um, in the nichiest of them all segment they've heard of or, you know, uh, haven't heard of. I like that too. Yeah, because I always think of other people too listening. Like, do they think it's Nishi or are they just like, you idiots? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe we're all, all in our own little bubble and we have you know, <laughs> no idea. And everybody's like, yeah, I've heard of that. You know, God. <laughs> okay, well, well, here's what we'll do is I'll, I'll get an email set for next episode. But until then, um, our Twitter names are always in the show notes. Yeah. So you can tweet one or more of us and let us know. You know, if, uh, what you think, you know, if, if the games we're picking are niche, if you've ever heard of them, if you think they are totally pedestrian because you've owned it for years <laughs> and, and can't believe anybody wouldn't own it or however else you might feel. Then for Anne and for Brian, this is Shidoshi and this has been the third episode, the third very, very niche episode <laughs> of the nichiest gaming podcast ever.